Welcome to the Let's Run Fit Podcast, the podcast that's here to empower you on your fitness journey. In today's episode, we had an incredible, insightful conversation with the amazing Esther Abbott, sports nutritionist, personal trainer, and health and weight loss coach. The conversation was so rich and packed with valuable information that we just couldn't fit it all into one episode. That's right, you're going to get two episodes with Esther, but trust me, it's so worth the split. So we're going to go ahead and get started with part one today, and you'll get part two next week, so let's run fit together. Thank you so much for joining us on the show here today. We are so happy to have you and joining us. So could you just introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners and kind of share a little bit about your background in sports nutritionist and personal training and health and weight loss and everything else. So you have so many qualifications. I'd love to. Thank you. My name is Esther Avant and yes, I am. I'm all of those things. I've worked <laughs> in the health and weight loss industry, health and fitness industry for 17 and a half years. It was my college major, my first job in college, my first job out of college, and my career has just evolved over the last couple of decades, starting off with personal training, realizing that the exercise, most of my clients, I was working in a commercial gym, a Boston sports club, and most of my clients were women who wanted to lose weight and having sort of this, this realization that without being able to talk nutrition with them their efforts in the gym were falling short. It's just a much smaller piece of the weight loss puzzle than anybody oh, wants yeah. to think. So that's what led me down the nutrition route. I interned at Precision Nutrition. I got their highest level of qualification. I did a, a year-long fellowship in sports nutrition, took the CISSN exam, and still sort of found myself with all of these qualifications and having a hard time really helping clients apply the textbook knowledge to their lives. And same thing, having all this knowledge myself and still struggling with very typical, you know, binge and restrict patterns and perfectionism, kind of all that all or nothing mentality. So that led me down the path of the psychology of behavior change and how to actually take the science and apply it to people's dynamic lives that what works for me might not work for you. And a good coach doesn't just say, here's what I do, copy that but instead looks at all the different variables in mm -hmm. a person's unique life and says, okay, well, how are we going to apply this to you to, to maximize the, the benefits and the results you're looking for? So my career has evolved over the last almost 20 years. I started my own business really sort of out of what felt like necessity. I met my now husband who's in the military and I was working in gyms at the time and knew how hard it was to build up a clientele in person and, you know, really kind of make a name for yourself in a gym. So I had these visions of moving every two or three years, having, having to find a gym. Over, yeah. yeah, exactly. Starting over. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. And that was the <laughs> early days, the, the, the early, you know, early 20, 2010s when sort of online coaching and online businesses were sort of in their infancy. So I saw all these other fitness people being wildly successful, starting their own businesses. And I was like, all right, I'm qualified. I'm smart. Surely I can figure this out. You know, fast forward eight years, I finally sort of got some traction and have seen, seen a lot of success in my business, but that sort of, I, I fell into. And now I have several coaches who work with me. We work with clients all over the world. 
And we have a signature program called Gone for Good, where we take clients through our three-part formula, which we're going to talk about today, for weight loss that lasts. I was so tired of hearing women say, right, right, that the losing weight is the easy part. I, I worked in corporate wellness for a while. And we used this was several years ago. So it was when like Biggest Loser was in its prime. And we had a Biggest Loser style competition for the employees. And the same guy won it three or four years in a row. And I remember him saying, I'm really good at losing weight and I'm just as good at putting it back on. And that was like such a pivotal moment for me that I was like, but that's not the point. It's not to win this, you know, $75 gift card and gain the weight right back. We want to be losing it for good. So where are people going wrong that the results are so short-lived? And, you know, since working with hundreds of women and, you know, applying this formula, I've seen how applicable it is to any other goal that you want to set. Oh, 100%. I'm writing a book right now and it's literally the exact same formula. (laughs) It's deciding I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to step into the identity of someone who has already done it. It's about figuring out what are the steps, the big rocks that are going to get me Mm -hmm. from A to B. And it's about figuring out who is the support that I need to surround myself with? Do I need mentors? Do I need peers? How do I make sure that I'm going to be committed for the long haul and that the, you know, enthusiasm isn't going to wear off when I get tempted by something. Um, So sort of building that community around yourself. And once you've done it once in one area, you realize now I can just apply it anywhere. And I think that's so empowering and that women can do such amazing things in the world with that confidence and that that belief in themselves. It really is. And I think a lot of people underestimate how easy it is to put the weight back on. Like they always say, I've lost the weight, I'm done. And then it slowly comes back or sometimes it even comes back so quickly. I think like the coworker you had, and it's just, they don't understand that it is a lifelong lifestyle change. So that's a huge thing. I think that's part of what's so difficult about it is, you know, most other goals that we set, if you want to graduate high school, go to college, get a PhD. There's a lot of like very specific goals we set that do have end, Mm -hmm. you know, completion dates. And, you know, sometimes it takes longer than you want, but there's, there's an end, you get the degree, you, you, you know, you get married, whatever it is, you have the kid. And the realization that, yeah, it's not just about getting myself to, you know, that number on the scale. It's about doing so in a way that I have created a lifestyle and a mindset that support staying there so that I'm not doing this runaround for the rest of my life. I think it's hard too, because people get overwhelmed once they realize it's a lifestyle change. And from what I've talked to you a little bit before this, it seemed like you really had figured out the psychology of how to help people through that mindset, which is why as soon as I read everything about you, I was like, you have to be on the show. You have so nice. You have to be here. That's why I responded back to you in like three seconds. Like (laughs) it was very quick. (laughs) I was very excited earlier. You mentioned about how you were specifically helping a lot of women that you had helped hundreds of women with that. Can you kind of elaborate why your mission is so important to you personally, especially when it comes to women? Because I feel like women are often a forgotten piece in the health and fitness world. We have to adapt to whatever was already made for men and figure out why it's not working for us. So why is women so important to you? You're absolutely right. It's fascinating and also like really um, angering when you look at, you know, the the research on certain exercise and nutrition related things and see that, you know, oh, all of these studies were done on men or the, the only study that was done on women, you know, was in the last 
10 or 15 years. Like it's just, it's a very new thing that women are even being considered as a, a unique population. And, and you're right. A lot of it was just like, oh, they're just small men. It'll just like, whatever works for men will work for women. And that's not the case at all. We, we oh, are very know. well aware. The, the primary reason that I'm so passionate about the dem- demographic that I work with is because I work with women who remind me of my mom who I lost to colon cancer in my oh, mid twenties. Sorry. Thank you. And never as it is not. Um, and as I kind of developed in my career, I started thinking about, you know, I'd seen her try to lose weight before and do weight watchers and kind of the, the typical things. And I knew those things didn't work. And I knew what a unique and complex and amazing person she was. And here she was doing all these programs that really just like tried to distill her down to a number of like, oh, your goal is to lose weight. Therefore, do ABC. The rest of like your life, the rest of you doesn't matter. You're just a number. And of course that doesn't work. And that's what most programs are built on. It's just like kind of churn them in, pump them out, get a good testimonial or a good six-week photo, move on, good luck with your life. And that's not what works. So I I started to think like what if she were still alive, if she had someone like me, with my background, with my qualifications, with my empathy, could it have been different? Somebody who saw her as a unique human being who realized that she was worthy and valuable, independent of her size, and was able to support her through not just the exercise and nutrition related stuff, but also with the other stuff that comes up in the process. As we'll talk about- still happening. Like exactly. Life doesn't exactly. stop. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's something that that is so overlooked. You know, I'll talk to women in my community and get updates on their lives. And it's like, well, you know, this kid had to go in for testing and, you know, needs extra services at school. So now I'm advocating for that. And I'm the squeeze generation. I'm also taking my parents to and from appointments. And my husband travels for work and our our basement needed repairs and like so much life is happening. And it's so easy to end up on the back burner. And I think it's so important to see our clients as these whole human beings and recognize your health is a very, very important element of your life, but it's not the only thing on your radar. So how do we help you get out of that position of overwhelm and out of that belief that if I can't do it every do everything perfectly, I might as well not bother and into a whatever ways I can show up is better than not and work on making smaller steps towards the outcome that they want. And, you know, ultimately I just really think women have the power to change the world as we've seen in countless examples. You know, I think (laughs) about like, you know, mothers against drunk driving. And um, I read a while back that, you know, the reason lead paint ended up getting, um, getting banned was due to moms rising up and, you know, and making it be so. And I just think, I've talked to so many women who are so distracted by how uncomfortable they feel in their bodies. They're so overwhelmed by food, by exercise. It's just kind of shadowing everything else. And I just imagine a world where we're not so preoccupied with those things because we've got them on lock. We know how to show up for ourselves. We know how to make healthy choices. We're showing up as the best versions of ourselves. And when we are, I think the impact that we could have in our in our families, in our communities, in our states, in, in the world <laughs> is just mind-blowing. So that to me is the biggest thing to think about like the ripple effect of even just one woman who changes her health for the better and then goes out and positively impacts those around her. And then you multiply that, you, you know, you scale it 
like what what could we do it's amazing it is it it really is because I feel like women also and I don't know if this is just my perception it could be I feel like we somehow get shouldered a bigger burden in life of having to worry about things you know like my husband is actually where he can hear me so he you might hear him in the background in a second but we both have a (laughs) full-time job and I have the part-time job in my podcast and somehow I end up doing more of the housework and I have to kind of do, you know, I'm the one that's like, okay, we, we've got to clean this now and we've got to cook this now. We've got to go to the grocery store now. It's like, we kind of, as women, it always seems to still, we have that role that we had from before we had jobs and now we have jobs, which is awesome. But somehow we still haven't been able to get out of having to be the full on caretakers, you know, like when it comes to like a child being sick, nine times out of 10, it's the mom who calls out of work, not the dad. And I, I don't know why. You know, I, I physically don't know, but that seems to be the case. And when a woman is the one that calls out of work, she's called a bad mom. And it puts all of this guilt on women. If we take time for ourselves, if we go, I'm going to spend this one hour doing my run or doing my workout or whatever it is, it's, well, you should have been reading a book to your kids, or you should have been cleaning that your husband's tired. Why didn't you help with that? Like, there's always that guilt. And I don't feel like men get that guilt because I ask my husband all the time. I'm like, do you ever like feel bad that you play five hours of video games when you knew the poor needed vacuum. You're like, no, I'm, I'm okay. And I'm like, I would have felt guilty the whole time. So I don't know know how we have that psychology. Yeah. I have a great example of that. And I actually just read a book called fair play, which I reviewed for my own podcast. And it's about exactly this, how women have the lion's share of the domestic load mentally and actually, you know, doing the things. If anything, you know, we're the ones thinking about what needs to be done and maybe the the partner like helps with the execution. So it's a, a very good read. Um, but a really good example of this, my husband's in the military. We recently moved back to the US from Germany. And prior to the move, which obviously is pretty stressful, <laughs> any oh, yeah. move is, but let alone international. And I had some sort of oversized reaction to something due to stress. And my husband asked me, what are you so stressed about? And I launched into this like whole laundry list of like the immediate stressors, the short term, the long term, you know, for the next like year of our lives. Like these are all the things that are weighing on my mind. And I was like, aren't you stressed about these things? And he was like, oh, no, I'm just trying to like get through the next thing. And it was so telling to me that, you know, exactly what what your husband has said about the video games. Like we just we're, we're conditioned to take on so much of this invisible load that it's not even necessarily their fault. They don't know the kind of yeah, load they, that we're under. He has zero clue. We, <laughs> right, right. So part of it, and, and the author of the Fair Play book talks about this, like how part of it is like, we need to take ownership of the role that we've played in like shouldering this burden without communicating like, hey, actually this isn't very fair. Let's see how we can split things, things, up, things up differently. But it's really interesting that our brains just do seem to work very differently. It's absolutely crazy. And it makes it where it's hard to spend time on yourself. It's just, it does. Like, I know I have a lot of conversations with my sister because she has three kids and her husband's a fireman. So, you know, there's a lot of days that she is essentially for 24 hours, a single parent. And then, you know, he'll come back and she's like, it's so difficult to kind of keep shifting back and forth because they're used to mom's routine. And then dad comes and dad has a different routine and dad doesn't even comprehend the differences of what's happening when he's not there. Cause he's like, today, my goal was my kids. 
tomorrow my goal is work. And then for us, we're like, okay, so we have this today. And then tomorrow we also need to make sure we have this ready and we'll need cookies baked on Saturday. Like we're just always having that invisible to-do list and putting it into a physical to-do list that we just hand our husbands and like, okay, I can do this and exactly. move on. Exactly. And, and you're right. And I think, you know, to, to find a silver lining of that, because we're so used to thinking three steps ahead and making sure that everything else is squared away and that we're not getting caught off guard by things. We have those skills that we can apply to our own goals. We're just not in the habit of doing it. Exactly. And but everyone else first. Realize, exactly. And when you decide that's not fair and nobody's getting the best of me if I'm not healthy and happy and confident, once you decide to make yourself a priority and sometimes with a little bit of help, you can apply those same strengths and skills to your own goals. So, okay, yeah, I'm in the habit of scheduling out everybody else's needs. I'm also now going to schedule in mine. And I'm in the habit of standing up for when my kids need a, an advocate or you know whatever else. Now I'm going to do that for myself too. And I'm going to set the boundaries or I'm going to communicate my needs with my partner or my kids. And you're not you're not like totally starting at square one. It's just that you don't realize the how to leverage the skills you already have. That's great. It actually goes right into my next question, which was when you're working with these women who are having these struggles, what is like the most common challenge you feel like you're being told? I'm assuming it's probably very close to the line that we were just talking about. And how do you help them when finding the motivation and the getting their journey started? Because it's very hard to get out of that cycle once we're in that cycle of putting everyone else's needs first. What is something that you do as a coach that really helps kind of pull them back and say, okay, it's time for you to spend some time on you. I was just talking to a client about how a body at rest stays at rest, a body in motion stays in motion and how getting started is the hardest part. 100%. And I'd say the number one challenge that most clients have when they come to me is some variation of, I know what to do. I'm just not doing it. And that does come back to exactly what we were talking about. So why are you not doing it? Well, I feel like I don't have time or I feel like I, you know, I'm guilty if I do this or that. And the real work in coaching and the real work in making lasting lifestyle changes is in addressing those things that come up. That's why I'm so focused on helping the exercise nutrition stuff be as simple and straightforward as possible. Because ultimately, there's that stuff is pretty simple. It's not easy all the time, but it's relatively straightforward. It's the rest of life <laughs> that makes it hard. So once you know, these are the things that I want to be, be doing, and this is how frequently I want to do them, then the work is developing awareness and then solving for the things that are preventing you from doing them consistently. So a lot of clients will say, you know, I know, I know what to do, I'm just not doing it. And that's like, like a very final thing of like, just the end. And I'm like, okay, well, why? Why aren't you doing it? And starting to, to probe beneath the surface and figure out what actually is it? Is it that you're not in the habit of setting boundaries? Is it that you're not managing your time well? Is it that you don't, you know, you're scared of failing or you don't think that you'll be successful so you don't even want to try and, you know, put yourself in that uncomfortable position? Once we know that, then we know where the real work lies. Mm -hmm. And when you're willing to address that kind of beneath the surface stuff, that's when the exercise and nutrition becomes so much easier because instead of just like beating your head against the wall, like I need to get my workout and I need to get my workout and I'm not doing it. You're like, oh, it's going to be easier to work out if I put some boundaries around my social media use or if I take them off my phone and I'm no longer squandering my opportunities throughout the day. Um, 
So you'll find that those things click into place when you sort of broaden your scope and start looking at your whole lifestyle overall and how everything is playing a role in either supporting your, your goals or not. It's actually similar to something I actually had with one of my clients recently. They kept saying, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. I was like, didn't you just tell me you had a movie marathon last week? And didn't you, you sat on the beach for six hours, like, great, I'm jealous, but it's not that you didn't have time. It's that it wasn't your priority. So I, I know in my life, I try very hard to never say, I don't have time to do that. It's, it is not my priority right now. And when you put it that way, especially when it comes to something like your health and someone who's really wanting to get started, if you say you do, you just aren't making it a priority. And then they finally start to internalize that when they realize I'm not making my health a priority, then they're like, Whoa, hang on this, this right here is the key. And this is what needs to change. And that seems to be the mindset for myself. It's like, I want to learn to play piano. I can play very, very basic, like kindergarten, first grade level piano. And I want to do better. And I have a piano that I'm looking at right now, but I touch it like once a month because it's just not a priority for me. I have the podcast and I have my job and I'm a teacher and I have a husband. Like I have so many other things that I do, my own running routine, my own clients with my coaching business. Like I have so much I have to do that piano will just gather dust nine times out of 10. It's like when I move it and I replug it in, I'm like, I wonder if this still works. <laughs> like That's when I touch it. And you kind of have to use that kind of analogy and people realize, like you said, social media, your phone will tell you how long you're on an app. And it's terrifying. <laughs> it is terrifying. Yes. You're like, how did I spend five hours of my day on social media? Cause you don't do it all at once. So it doesn't feel right. like five hours. Right. And you're just like, whoa, I spent 15 minutes in the morning while I was getting ready, just kind of scrolling randomly. I spent another five minutes while I was, you know, sitting in the parking lot because I got to work early, if that's something that doesn't really happen to me. But you know, <laughs> like those kind of things, like, and it just starts to add up when you're just mindlessly scrolling while you're watching TV, like that could have been 15 minute workout. Like, I think also people feel like health and wellness has to be this thing that takes a huge chunk of your day. Your workout can just be 15 minutes you're still better than zero minutes and people really want it to be this full hour and it just a overwhelms them. And you're it's, absolutely it's right. hard to put an hour in. I'm not going to lie. Like if you told me right now, I had to add an hour of something random into my life. I'd be like looking at my schedule, like, uh, how's 11 PM. Like, right. right. It would be very hard. You're absolutely right. Those are, I think the, the belief that you need a, a big chunk of time in the first place is a, um, an obstacle most people need to overcome. And then the, the lack of awareness first, but then once you develop the awareness of things like, oh, I'm actually squandering my, my opportunities. Awareness is uncomfortable. It's not it fun to shift to it's not my priority or I didn't, I didn't make time for it. That doesn't feel good. But then you are responsible for not exactly, exactly. (laughs) But you have to be responsible because that's the only way out. That's the only way to start behaving differently until you know what you're currently doing. You can't change it. So that uncomfortable awareness is the first step. And then once you have it, figuring out how do I break this mindless cycle? Because it's not like you're actively choosing, oh, I have 15 minutes right now. I could do something useful with it, but instead I'm going to scroll on my phone. You're not actively making that choice. So you need to do something that just interrupts the pattern. For me, on several occasions, it's been taking social media off my phone so that anytime I go to to scroll, I'm like, oh, shoot. 
And then it reminds me, okay, well, you can't do that. So why don't you do something more productive? So sometimes you do need to take those seemingly like extreme measures just to break the cycle. I currently have them on my phone now and it's not nearly as big an issue because I gave myself the opportunity to to break the cycle. Um, but it's not just going to change on its own. I have heard a lot of clients say like, well, I'll just I'll just do better next time. I'll just do it differently this time. And I'm like, that's easy to say now when you're not in that position. But when you are, you're going to feel then the same way you normally do when you go down that same road. So there needs to be something that triggers the different action. And whatever that, you know, whatever that may be, for some people, it's putting their exercise equipment, their Peloton or their gym shoes or dumbbells, or whatever, in their bedrooms so that you cannot wake up and get to the bathroom without being like, oh, right, I wanted to exercise this morning. Maybe it's cleaning your kitchen out of all the temptations or putting them in hard to reach places so that you can't just mindlessly eat stuff because you you saw it. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Which I have done on many occasions. So nothing is foolproof, but the more hoops you give yourself to jump through, the more likely you are to kind of come to before you've followed through on the thing. Exactly. And then you have that many opportunities to be like, oh, right, this is actually not what I want to do. And then you start collecting evidence that you can make different choices and it does feel good to show up for yourself differently. And then that becomes kind of the the positive spiral of, oh, I did it before. Now it's not as hard to do again. And that's where momentum comes from. And that's where confidence comes from to then tackle the next thing. And it's actually really true because I actually have an example from my own life that fits just into what you were saying about how you can kind of change how you get to a step. I had a really bad addiction to ice cream. Okay. Me and ice cream were best friends. I could eat like a quarter of a gallon in one sitting and just be perfectly happy because I would just mindlessly eat it because I could just grab it and go. Well, I bought a Ninja Creamy, which means first off, if I want ice cream, you have to wait 24 hours after you make it for it to freeze. And then you have to wait another about eight minutes for it to actually spin before you can even have ice cream. And I've cut back so much on my ice cream because half the time I'm like, I don't feel like waiting for it. I don't, I don't feel like waiting to spin it. And then you have to re-spin it sometimes. And I'm like, if I want Oreos, I have to go crush them. And then I have to put those in it. And it's made it where I cut back so much that it's just, it's amazing. Like when I'm at the grocery store, I don't even go down the ice cream aisle because I'm like, I have a system that's working. When I want ice cream, I get it, but I have to earn it, so to speak. And it that's can, a great example. Yeah. You're just, helps. you're getting some distance between the craving and, you know, satisfying it. And you find that a lot of times with that distance, you're like, eh, whatever, it's, it's not that important. It's not worth it. It's just, it's yeah. a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> you have to think about it. You have to buy the ingredients ahead of time. And when you have to put all that extra steps, I'm like, I can do this. And then also when I'm making my own ice cream base, I'm not filling it with that crazy amount of sugar. So it's not also feeding that sugar addiction. So I've actually been able to get away from my sugar addiction. Some when we had a big weekend where we had a lot of parties because of graduation for some of my kids, there's a lot of sugar involved that weekend. I noticed for the next week or so, I was just constantly trying to eat because my body's like wanting that sugar back. And now that I've kind of gotten a couple of weeks out from that, I'm like, oh, I can survive again. Like I'm back. I'm not sitting here like looking at my Walmart app. I'm like, am I going to buy ice cream today? Like, <laughs> It helps you out because you just have to get that distance. What is something like when you're looking at their busy schedules, going back to the schedule, we got a little on a tangent there. So with the busy schedules, if someone literally looks at their schedule and is like, I physically don't know how to fit this in. 
can you help me where they want to fit it in? They're not like making the excuse. Cause some people just like, I can't, I'm going to go watch TV for an hour. Like the people who have like multiple kids and a husband and a job and you know, all of their responsibilities, what's kind of some advice that you do to help people kind of identify where they can get those, you know, moments of fitness in and moments of health in. Great question. I'm a big advocate of something that we call life admin, which is sitting down with a chunk of time once a week and then shorter chunks of time each evening and actually looking at what the week has in store for you. A lot of us have a lot of, you know, repetition in our lives, but they're also very dynamic. Some weeks you have, you know, practice after school or your kids do. Some weeks you have dentist, doctor's appointments, whatever. So things are always in flux. And a lot of the time we're just kind of winging it and hoping for the best. And that somehow the stars align for there to be a really easy and obvious time to get workouts in or to meal prep or do any of the things. And as we all know, that doesn't just happen. It doesn't fall in our, our laps like that. It has to be intentional. So it starts with looking at your calendar, your spouse's calendar, your kids' calendars. And actually, again, this kind of goes back to the domestic load we were talking about. Are you doing you know, 95% of the household work to keep things running? And if so... One of the things that you're likely going to want to do is have a conversation with your spouse about how inequitably the the work is being split up right now. And you're going to want to offload some of those tasks to your partner. Um, that'll free up some time. Usually just looking at your calendar with the lens of how do I find time for myself will help you reveal opportunities. Maybe it's not as often as you'd like. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about before of feeling like you need a lot of time. So maybe you're looking at like, well, you know, Monday through Friday, I just do not have time. I can't find an hour every day of the week. It's like, okay, well, you don't need an hour every day of the week. Let's start with where you do have time. So depending on the family, sometimes weekends are the easiest opportunity to get in those tasks. Sometimes weekends are so busy with sports and trips and things like that. <laughs> and, and weekdays are easier. So that doesn't really matter so much as you actually look and say, if I were to find a time, if I wanted there to be a solution to this, what would it look like? And I'm not trying to find five days right away. I'm trying to find one day next week that I can carve out 20 or 30 minutes for this. And something I see a lot of people do is put a lot of constraints or a lot of like um, qualifiers on what it needs to look like. I always think about the the show House Hunters, where these couples will come with this laundry list of criteria. We need to be within two blocks from the beach. We also need to be five minutes from the freeway and we need to have three bedrooms and we need a yard and it needs to be under this price. And the the realtor is like, well, pick three because you can't have all those. I think sometimes we do the same thing with our schedules. And it's like, I do want to find time to exercise, but I'm not a morning person and I'm too tired at the end of the day. And I don't want to do it when my kids are awake because I feel like I should be spending time with them. And then on weekends, I feel like that's my time to relax. And it's like, will you just crossed off all of the possible options. You got to pick something. So, now. Right. So <laughs> you have to remind yourself that like, this is not something that you have to do. You're choosing to do it. You want to do it, or you're, you're telling yourself you want to do it. Why? Why is it important to you? Why does exercising help you get closer to a goal that's important to you? Tying in the day-to-day -day actions with the larger goal is, is the first step. Recognizing like, this is not like a a list of chores that I just need to cross this off. I'm doing this for myself because it's good for me. It helps me look good. It helps me feel good. And, and it helps me accomplish this goal. So looking at it through this lens where I want there to be a way that it gets done 
where am I willing to flex? Sometimes it's not going to be ideal for me, for especially for moms of young kids. There's not a great time, especially if you're working. You've got your early mornings. You've got your evenings. Sometimes you just have to pick among options that are not your favorites. And you have to pick the, the least unappealing of unappealing options. And over time, you might get more appealing. Over time, your life is going to change and your kids will get older and more independent. You'll change jobs. Your spouse will change jobs. There's all sorts of ways that like what you're committing to now is not a lifelong commitment. You're just saying, this is what my life is like now. I want to be adding this, this exercise in. How can this be possible? And then giving yourself the opportunity to experiment. A lot of times clients want there to be the answer. Oh, like, just tell me when to do my workouts. Just <laughs> tell me like, when do you do yours? I'll just do mine then. And like what works for me works for you is not going to work for everyone at all times. So it's really a matter of being willing to go through some trial and error and say, I don't love the idea of early mornings. I also don't love the idea of late nights. Those are the times I have available right now. Let me try both and see. Is one, am I more consistent with one than the other? Do I want to do a mix of both? How often am I telling myself I have to do these things? And just set the bar at a little bit better than what you've been doing. If you're not doing it at all, one day is great. If you do one day consistently, set the bar at two. Eventually, maybe you know three, six, nine months down the road, now maybe you're doing four or five days a week, but you've done it slowly enough that it's become habitual and that you've figured out what works for you based on your life right now. I love it. I think my favorite part was one of the first things you said where you're like, just pick one day this week, just one day. And I think a lot of people get hung up on the, well, this particular exercise says it has to be five days a week. I don't have five days a week. Then do one day a week. <laughs> like, like my first question when I work with a client at this point is how much time can you give me before I write you a plan? Cause I'm like, if I wanted you to be the most successful runner on the planet, I would give you five to six days a week with one to two hour workouts but that doesn't work for everyone. What works for you? And I have some people who are on that six hour two or six days, two hour, you know, workout plan. And I have someone else who's like, I can only give you two days and I can only give you 20 minutes. And I'm like, perfect. Got it. And we yeah. roll with that. And right. I think so many people just have this idea of what they think the perfect workout plan must be. And they must do that. Or it doesn't count. It still counts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It still you nailed counts. it. It's a, you know, a good coach meets you where you are. And you also need to meet yourself where you are and recognize all I, you know, where I am now is just my starting point. I don't have to be here forever. I need to see the difference between where I am now and where I want to be. And I need to lay out gradual incremental steps to cover that ground rather than trying to do it all at once, falling off, reverting back to zero and just living that cycle over and over. Yeah, it's crazy. I have one client who I wanted her to add in strength work. She's like, I cannot add something else. So I was like, okay, do a wall sit while you brush your teeth. Like, that's all I told her to do. And she's like, seriously, I was like, you should be brushing your teeth about two to three minutes. If you're doing it right, like do a wall sit for two to three minutes. I promise your legs are going to get tired before you're done brushing your teeth. And she's been doing that. And now like we just, she's gotten in the habit of it. So we're like, okay, today we're going to do calf raises instead. Tomorrow we're going to do air squats. It's all why she brushes her teeth. That's the only that. time she does her strength workouts, but you can see the difference kind of building up into it just because she added that one small thing. It doesn't have to be a, I put on the workout clothes and I put on the workout shoes and I sat there with my water bottle and my towel and I got the fan going, I got the music going. It can just be, I'm brushing my teeth. I'm going to do a little 
three minute strength workout, you know, just small things like that. And I think so many people just, they get overwhelmed by the ideas of perfection Mm -hmm. and it's, and I do it too. I'm not going to lie. Like every time I'm like, it's a new half marathon. This is going to be exactly what I'm going to do. This is going to be my plan. I loaded in my garment. I'm like, let's go. And then I'm a weekend. I'm like, okay, this isn't working. We got to rearrange all that hours worth of work. I did loading into my garment. Let's delete that and do something else. Like it happens so often, even to us coaches, we're not perfect either. Right. Yeah. You you make a really good point. And I think that's something that a lot of people use as an argument against making a plan in the first place is like, oh, I try to plan. And then like life always happens and I get thrown off. So, you know, why bother? And there's still so much value in making the plan in the first place because it's, it serves as your, your compass. It's helping you remember where you're trying to get and the route might need to change or, you know, in, in your case, the, the, those specific workouts might need to change, but the goal is unchanged. And I think it's it's a good exercise in thinking through what would be ideal here. And then when life happens, it's a good opportunity to practice being flexible and not saying, screw it, it's all ruined, why bother? But instead being like, okay, how can I still get done what needs to be done in a way that works given you know this new information that I have? It's like getting past the, well, I'll start Monday mindset. Oh, Mm -hmm. I screwed up Monday night. We'll try again next week. It's (laughs) it's like, accept that it happened. Take a breath, you know, kind of grieve that your plan broke for a second and then be like, okay, I start back tomorrow morning. Let's go. Yep. Like you just got to kind of keep rolling and going through it. So I kind of want to shift gears here a little bit because you mentioned earlier about the big rocks of effective progress and everything with exercise and nutrition. So it's been bugging me. I want to know what the rocks are. So could you kind of explain what you mean by the exercise and nutrition big rocks for someone who's new to fitness and has never heard it? Because I've actually never heard that phrase before. So I'm actually really excited. I'm going to learn something myself. (laughs) (laughs) So essentially what we were talking about earlier about how overwhelming it is, that's something I see time and time again, is that we do so much research and there's so much information at our fingertips that it's very easy to get paralyzed into inaction. I saw this and then I saw this conflicting information. I don't know which one is right. I don't want to do the wrong thing. So I'm not going to do anything until I figure out what's right and what's perfect. And just like we've like we've been saying, just taking action is really what you know, what needs to happen. So I feel like by distilling this you know complex world of exercise and nutrition down into the big rocks, which are just the handful of key behaviors that garner most of your results, when you focus on less, you're able to do those few things better. And you're also better able to identify what's preventing me from doing them. So you can solve for those. So as far as nutrition goes, your total caloric intake matters. Whether or not you're tracking it in an app or anything like that doesn't matter because your body is keeping track. If you're gaining weight, you're in a caloric surplus. If you want to lose weight, you need to be in a deficit. Um, and most of us don't have the awareness to know enough to to know whether we're eating the right amount for our goals. So learning about our our individual body's caloric needs, learning about the calorie and macro content of the foods that we're eating, how to put together balanced meals for ourselves that fuel our lifestyles while supporting our goals. All of that is very, very important. I think it should be taught in school. It's, oh, it's literally- As you a know, teacher, I really want a health and nutrition science class. Like it needs yeah. to be there. Like, right, like talk about a, a fundamental skill to have. And most adults don't even have it. So, of course, we're then not able to teach our children. And, you know, and we have rapidly rising 
and through the roof overweight and obese rates in in the country obesity rates um you know and it's it's at least not in in small part to the lack of education i think um so your total caloric intake is one of your nutrition big rocks your protein and your fiber intake are the other two big rocks Protein is important for a multitude of reasons, not the least of which is helping build and retain muscle, especially when you're losing fat. Um, it also helps with satiety, as does fiber. And really fiber for me, I consider it the final frontier. And it's really kind of a proxy goal for just eating an overall nutritious, minimally processed diet. If no fiber, There's... no nutrition, I promise. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And and the average American is getting like half the the fiber recommendation. And it's because we have so many highly processed, hyper palatable foods that go down really easily and are calorie dense, but aren't providing vitamins, minerals, that stuff. So lots of people kind of hang their hats on, oh, well, if it's, if it's just calories in, calories out, I can, I can eat whatever I want and still lose weight, which is not untrue. It's just not the best. But, <laughs> right. But losing weight and being healthy are not synonymous. You can lose weight in a healthy way that improves your health. You can also be smaller and still be unhealthy, have, um, you know, have health, poor health markers and disease risk and, and things like that. So focusing on fiber not only helps with satiety, but also helps ensure that you are just overall prioritizing a nutritious diet. And I find that when you focus on adding the protein, adding the fiber to your diet, you're not putting yourself in the headspace of what can't I have? What am I taking away? But naturally, by prioritizing those things, you're going to have less room physically in your body and you're going to have less desire for other things. So if you eat that stuff first, then just the the desire for your processed carbs, your sweets, things like that are going to go down. Um, but instead of instead of focusing on the subtraction, the addition feels better. So those are the three on the nutrition front. Exercise wise, my first big rock is just daily movement in the form of steps. And again, this is also kind of a proxy marker for an overall active lifestyle. It's not to say that other activities aren't beneficial. It's just, it gives us a very easy way to say, are you getting up and moving around for whatever reason throughout the day? If we aren't intentional about it, it's very easy to sit or lay pretty much all of our waking hours. So striving for a step before. goal, just, right. Yeah. Same. Striving, <laughs> striving for a thousand goal. steps in a day. And I was like, Whoa, how did that yeah. happen? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Especially coming out of the pandemic where like, for most of us, the furthest we were walking was, you know, couch to kitchen, desk to bathroom, that sort of thing. So focusing on steps just helps you remember to get up, get moving, for reasons other than intentional exercise. The second big rock is strength training, which you touched on earlier. Again, multitude of reasons that it's important. Having muscle is only going to benefit, especially women and especially as we age, not just because it helps you look good, it helps you be strong and do your you know activities of daily living more easily, improves independence, things like that. Um, there's really no downside to lifting. The third big rock is rest and recovery. And that's largely because so many women hyper-focus on as much cardio as possible, as much high-intensity cardio as possible, and 
just sort of run themselves into the ground, that it's about how many calories I can burn in the session. If I take a day off or if I don't, you know, sweat, I feel lazy or I feel like I'm, you know, guilty or I'm doing something wrong. We have this mentality that we can't take rest. But in reality, rest is when we recover and benefit from the work we're putting in. So without the rest, you're not getting out of your workouts, but you could be. So I always recommend building in depending on your lifestyle, anywhere from like one to three rest days per week where you let your body recover. You stretch, you walk, you do yoga, you you know do your meal prep, things that are going to support your overall healthy lifestyle. And you're going to get better results from the workouts that you are doing than if you're not resting and you're doing, doing twice as many. I love that. The fact that rest is a big rock is so important. And it was something that I actually really focused with my track team this past season. And I had one of my girls who was a senior and she dropped a minute and a half on her mile time. And I don't know how much you know about running, but that shouldn't be. I know that's huge. Yeah. Who's been running <laughs> for years. So like she had this huge drop and it was because we started focusing on her rest and her strength workouts. Like I got her doing a little bit of strength at the beginning of the season. And then we really incorporated what we call easy running, which are one of our rest days where we're still getting time on our feet, but we're going slow enough that our heart rates stay below 150. And adding that in, ironically, she just took off this season. Like that's amazing. Off. And it's just because we prioritized rest. Like the season before it, you know, we were going hard and we're like, let's do speed work and let's go, let's go. We're going to get you and we're going to catch up and we're going to beat that other school. And she actually ended up with a stress fracture and, you know, she was really tired. She had a lot of knee pain. We had to actually use KT tape on her knee every single race to kind of get her through the races. And then this time, no injury, no knee pain anymore. And a minute and a half off her mile time went to freaking States. Like that's amazing. And you actually said something that's a really good kind of reframe is that if you hear you need to be taking rest days and you go into that panic, use the term active recovery. A rest day does not necessarily mean you do literally nothing. It can. And sometimes that is what you need, but it can also be, I'm not doing anything strenuous. Mm -hmm. I'm not taxing my body the way I would during a full workout. So maybe if you're, you know, if you're a runner, that's a light, easy run where you are focused on keeping your heart rate low. Maybe it's just taking a walk. Maybe it's doing yoga or stretching or, you know, meditating. It doesn't need to be nothing. And sometimes if you do have a hard time doing less, then you just say, okay, I'm building into my program a day of, you know, whatever. And the active recovery term makes it feel more palatable. Oh yeah. Cause we had a lot of athletes this season when I really focused on rest this past spring that they're like, I'm losing fitness. I'm getting, I'm getting left behind. I'm not going to make it. And I'm like, dude, you just made a PR yesterday. What do you mean you're getting left behind? Like <laughs> our brains are so funny. It really is interesting that, you know, we, we have these stories that we tell ourselves and it feels really real. You know, those athletes really do believe I'm getting behind. I need to be doing more. I Even when losing fitness in one day, and I'm like, no, I promise right, that's not right. happening. Even when confronted <laughs> with, you know, the, the evidence to the contrary, it's, it's so ingrained in us that it needs to be, you know, on that grind ball to the wall, no, ball, no days off. And to make that shift can be really difficult. And I think that again, is part of where, you know, being willing to experiment comes from and see, okay, well, if this is the result I'm getting from what I'm currently doing. And I want to get a better result. Am I willing to do things differently? Am I willing to just try taking a rest day, taking an active uh, active recovery day and seeing? 
nothing, like you said, you're not going to lose fitness in one day. You're also not really going to lose much in a couple of weeks, in a month. And especially in the, in the case of um, weight loss, most people's fear is I'm going to gain back all the weight overnight. And you're just not, there are going to be signs if you're trending in the wrong direction and you'll have plenty of opportunities to course correct, but you need to be willing to do the thing that feels so uncomfortable to get a better result than you're currently getting. You have to, I just, just finished reading a a book from, um, I don't know if you've heard of ET, the hip hop preacher. He's like a (laughs) motivational speaker. He did that video. Um, when you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, that's when you'd be successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just read a book from him and he, he the uh, book was about how you have to give up good to become great. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle is like, they're good. They're, they're fighting tooth and nail to be good. And they can't really fathom doing things differently in order to become great. And that's why so few people actually do, you know, realize their full potential. And those are the ones that are willing to say, okay, this doesn't feel, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel comfortable, but I'm willing to try. Oh yeah. The mindset is really what clicks because Again, going back to my, like this, my whole season, I feel like I should just write a book on what happened because you could just see it when someone would finally buy in to the fact that rest and nutrition mattered, they would take off and everyone else would still where they were. And I'd be like, well, she did it because she did this. And then finally someone else is like, fine, I'll try it. Or so they got talked into it by the other athlete and then they take off and just slowly, like you could just see one by one. I could tell you the exact week, every single kid finally started buying in and easy running and taking their rest days and doing their strength work and eating better. Cause I actually focused a lot on nutrition because most of my athletes would get to practice. And I'd be like, what'd you eat today? And they'd be like, not a bag of chips, a bag of chips. What? It's four o'clock in the afternoon. I'll eat when I get home. I'm like you're about to go run for an hour and you've had 150 calories today. You know how big the bag of chips, maybe 200. Like, where was your breakfast? Where was your lunch? Where was your snack? I've ate like five times since like I woke up, like, you know, like all of that is so important. What's up run fit nation. I'm so sorry that that got cut off mid conversation. It was just too long. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode for one full episode. So we will pick up right here next week, next Saturday, and you'll get to hear the rest of our wonderful conversation with Esther. We're going to get back into nutrition and motivation, and it is going to be worth the wait. I promise. See you next week, guys. Thanks so much runners for spending time with me and listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please hit that subscribe button and leave me a review. I always love to hear from my listeners. And if you want more Let's Run Fit in your life, find me on Instagram at Let's Run Fit with Be Lit. Until next time, runners. The information in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical or professional advice. Please always consult a medical professional if you're seeking medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The Let's Run Fit podcast is not liable for risk or issues associated with using or acting upon the information in this podcast.